0: Flight 88 to, where are we going? Mexico? Astana? Where are we going, oh,
1: there, this, I don't even remember. I don't even remember. <laughs> 88, though, that's
0: very auspicious. That's good luck. So True. Oh, wow. It shows that you've lived in Hong Kong, man. Because I didn't <laughs> think about that at all, actually. Very auspicious.
1: <laughs> it was my American football uh, jersey number when I played at college.
0: Oh. Specifically for that reason. So suddenly uh, I understand a lot of your personality, a lot of concussion, right? Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> dislocated jaw. You name it. <laughs> That's part of your charm, man. Yeah, you uh, so Mexico it is. Mexico Mexico. It is. Oh, my God. Astana will be the, the next one because he's just been there finally. So we'll do Astana in the next one. Guys, we're really sorry. It's been, hmm, what, a month since we last released an episode and... Probably six weeks since we last actually talked to each other, because you remember, the last one was a pre-recorded one. How are you, Alex? I'm good, I'm good. It's been a while. It's been a while. I had a quiet January, which was
1: nice. Actually, it's been a quiet Q1, thank God, because last year, I mean, we've we've discussed
0: this ad nauseum, but it was a long year. For me, it was the opposite. I've flown, I think, more in the first two months of this year than I had flown in the entire 2014 or something. Wow. (laughs) Which is... Anyway... But I've decided not to travel in March at all. I might just have to do Paris, but I could do the Eurostar <gasps> trains. What? Oh Am I crazy? <laughs> so what happened in the past? Uh, well, a lot of stuff happened. So first, uh oh yeah, I mean, I know that currently you are not drinking, but man... Suntory and Nika have also announced that they have running out of whiskey.
1: <laughs> they are, uh, they are. And actually our friend Chris Ratcliffe on Twitter, who's the sort of resident expert on all things whiskey, he tweeted this out yesterday, day before yesterday. That's how I found out about it. And this, I'm looking at my bottle of Nika coffee grain whiskey that I talked about on Mastication Nation recently. That's one, that, one of the uh, ones
0: that's this disappearing. Yeah. So. Gosh, coffee grain and the uh, the malt whiskeys. I think they say it's temporary for Nika. At least the the barrel one is still there because that's my favorite. And Santori is also discontinuing some of their. Oh my god! It's anyway, so, so guys, fly a and Jolly if you want to have some of those. I think Santori is still served on some of those flights. So no travel because uh, we have to prepare for Brexit, right? Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's been interesting to watch some of the news come through about what's going to happen if there's a No Deal Brexit with. Everything from passports to whether airlines will still be able to
0: operate, so stay tuned. Stay tuned, yeah. And uh, one of the croaky news was that I think airports in Spain would have, because Spain is a very popular destination for Brits, would have up to five hours of queuing because suddenly Brits would not be allowed through the normal queue. <laughs> Anyway, I mean, we'll see. Uh, we, we're not going to dwell on that because we have enough of this every single yeah. freaking day. I've also dedicated my past month to fighting ETHRO. Mm. <laughs> the consultation of the new um, the new landing path that I've mentioned, guys, has just closed. And I think I will never get a job at ETHRO because what I've wrote to them was not really nice, actually. but <laughs> Really? Well, I
1: mean, I think they need the feedback, don't they?
0: Yeah, no, I mean, I was fair, and I mentioned that I travel a lot, because I put my name, it was not anonymous, but I was a bit uh, angry at the way they've actually done this whole thing anyway. And also, I'm Marie kondo in my office, so Alex has a different view of me, because to avoid him seeing the mess behind me, all the boxes and the trash, I've actually put the camera slightly different. He he sees the worst angle of my face now on the video. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Um,
0: Yeah, and the other thing that might happen for Brexit if BA still flies to Spain is having a lot of wind. Have you seen that flight BA 492 trying to land in Gibraltar, was it? Extraordinary, yeah. There were quite a few different
1: angles, wasn't there? There was somebody on board and there were a few people on the ground. It didn't look like much fun at all. (laughs) I've never seen quite such violent oscillations if you will, so close to the ground. So, gosh, I mean, kudos to the pilots. But the wind that whips through Gibraltar or the Strait of Gibraltar
0: is fierce at the best of times. And I think that they got a, a taste of that. The winds are expressing their Brexit anger as yeah. well. Have you ever flown to a Gibraltar? I've never.
1: Uh, yes, I have. My wife and I did it about uh, 15 years ago. It's pretty spectacular. And then we walked across the runway because the runway bisects the, the islet where the, the peninsula is on an island itself. So you can watch a plane land and there's almost like a giant railroad crossing and it lifts up and you can walk right across the runway. (laughs) I love
0: that. I think there's an airport in in Greece, on one of the islands, it has that, where the road, maybe it's Corfu, where the road also crosses. It's pretty fun. Another thing that happened almost exactly five years to the day today, so we're recording March 6th, is the disappearance of the Malaysian uh, oh, flight. Oh. Yeah, I was about to say, the time flies, man. But I think it's still going to be the biggest ever mystery in the airline industry. We'd probably never know. No. A little reminder to all the people that are still suffering of not having closure about that. One uh, little feedback about something we mentioned in the last episode by Joel Kandia on uh, Twitter, with regards to this premium business shtick with Malaysian Airlines, since we're talking about Malaysian. Essentially, they're keeping the first-class seats without the first-class service. That's the premium business thing they're doing, which makes sense in a way. What does
1: that mean, though? I think think first-class service meaning the, the
0: catering is not quite as good? or we cannot afford to do a first class anymore. It doesn't make sense economically, but we cannot afford either to refit our aircraft with old business seats. So what we're going to do, we're going to tell people, you're going to have the same service as business class, but you're going to have better seats. Fine. That sounds good yeah. to me. <laughs> but the biggest news, the biggest news, the a through eighty is dead. Yeah. The writing
1: was on the wall for this for a long time, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah. And I think we all saw it coming, but I do not I don't know about you, but I was surprised by the the absoluteness, if you will, of the, of the announcement that it wasn't going to be phased out or they keep the order book open. They've said, it's done. We're done. We're done with yeah. this. And this was partly because Emirates decided to convert an existing, well, I don't know if it was a firm order or an MOU for A380s into A350s,
0: right? So they had 39 A380s on order, then going for 40 a A33900s and that's 30 a that's 900. That's so so, the um, mix. But I don't know, you know, it's a chicken and a leg. I don't know in which order because Hong Kong airline had canceled its order at the end of last year. They had 10. I don't know any order or promise or whatever. We, we know how it is. Qantas had canceled theirs on February 7th, so a week before the announcement, eight of them. Qatar, the same week, said they wouldn't recommit after the end of flying, so probably after the 12 years of their own 380. There was also Amedeo, which is uh, lesser, canceled 20 but I'm thinking those ones were for Emirates, I'm not sure. So I don't know, you know, they were probably talking before. So was all these cancellations happening because basically behind the scenes, Airbus was telling me, you know, guys, we don't think we can make it. Or was it the other way around? All these cancellations led Airbus to... Oh, that's a good question.
1: I I don't know. I don't know. I think it was probably somewhere in the middle. Um, People have, have been hitting us up on Twitter about this. My reaction generally is is sadness because I like that airplane. I think, I mean, it's extraordinarily ugly, but that's just one component of it. <laughs> I agree. You're right? But it's it's a lovely airplane to fly as a passenger. And no matter where you're sitting, it's quiet, it's dark when it needs to be, but light and airy when it when it needs yeah. to be. It's comfortable. I don't know what it's like as a, a as as cabin crew, but I know that um, the pilots I know that fly it really, really like it as well. Yeah. And I think it's, it's a, almost a sort of Hayao Miyazaki-esque airplane in its in its grotesqueness and its size and all of that. I just think it's a shame, but when you look at the numbers, it never, ever was ever going to come close to making a profit, let alone breaking even.
0: Hey guys, just listen to our 87 first episodes, and you, you'll see that we always mention that it was always on the brink of being cancelled. Or yeah. I think one of the reasons that the Emirates wouldn't commit to the 39 orders because they really wanted them, right? Is that Rolls-Royce wasn't delivering a new engine yeah. and basically uh, Engine Alliance, which is GE and Private Whitney, it's already had thrown the towel like a few months ago. said so, you know, whatever. We're never going to do an engine again for the 380. So there was no new engine, which meant that the economics were not getting better. So there was no like A380neo or whatever. So there was right. really no, you know, the plane wasn't evolving. So I guess Emirates had no choice but.
1: Yeah, it's a real shame. Not to say that the, the, the plane Planes that aren't on the market now or are coming down the the pipeline aren't also wonderful. I just think that that that
0: airplane was so different compared to what we had now. People recognize the 747 and they recognize the 380. And these customers, like not geeks like us, but regular customer will be very happy to fly the 380 if only choose to fly the 380, they recognize yeah. it, they are very happy to fly it. It's one of the aircrafts that, again, I agree with you, it's ugly, but it's it's different, and people loved it, yeah. and I loved it. I, I flew it, so the announcement was made on Valentine's Day, for crying out loud. <laughs> <laughs> I flew it the next day, because I was in Dubai back then, and I flew it the next day, and I was like, oh my god, I mean, it's not the end-end, because I think Emirates is still getting its late this one in 2020, so if you add let's say 12 years, 2032, 2033. Yeah, they're around
1: for a long time.
0: Yeah, and maybe then you know, maybe Emirates will actually try to make them last longer because there won't be any others, and they might be relying on them for some routes, so maybe we'll see them for 15 years, they'll go like BA. And talking about BA, BA still is interested in buying 380s because they have Etho, which is the most congested airport in the world because there's no gates, so probably... BA might be looking at buying some of the secondary market, like secondhand. second hand because you know they what well, there are seven four sevens are like what? eighty five years old or something. Yeah, yeah. So they they might actually get <laughs> but I agree with you. The the feeling I don't know, especially the landing. It almost feels that the airplane is at a standstill. It's not mm. flying anymore. It's gliding when it's landing. It's it's magnificent.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a, a real achievement in engineering at every sense of the word. Although I was fascinated to see now that Singapore Airlines have retired the first four, I think it was yeah. uh, original deliveries, and they're now being broken up as we speak in France. That they are of much less value for spare parts because. To make them work, they had to do a lot of custom wiring and mm-hmm. fixings inside those those early models. And there's a there's a fascinating moment in a documentary I watched right when the A three eighty was first being introduced, where the main core of of wiring that connected the the front of the airplane to the to the rear bulkhead, and it has to have been, I don't know, fifteen centimeters thick in terms of this bundle of wire, was like two inches too short to make the connection. Oh, wow. And like the cameras were on them as they made this realization that it was too short and they had to redo all this stuff. So it was interesting to learn that the value, the book value versus the scrap value that these airlines and these uh, parts brokers were going to get was, was significantly less. The other thing I think that was... Interesting in terms of legacy was the – we all know the 747 just celebrated its 50th anniversary – 50th fiftieth anniversary yeah. of its first flight. And there's nearly uh, 1,600 made. The A380 first flew 14 years ago. Yeah, exactly. It's a very short lifespan yeah. for an aircraft. And, and the order book on the 747, while still small, is still open. And there were only 234 A380s ever built. So in terms of cultural impact and – scarcity going forward. I mean the A380 is is much smaller and while some of those airlines may cling on to them, they are actively being retired and scrapped. Yeah. So Yeah, absolutely. Your yeah. opportunity to fly them
0: while still there in the future is going to be much scarcer. And who would have believed that a 747 would outlive the 380, right? Yeah. No, I don't think anybody would. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. But it's interesting to go back at the history because it was a lot of, of course, you know, armchair analysts saying, oh, Airbus was wrong since the start or Boeing was right since the start. And if you look back at the 90s where this program was jump started, Boeing also had at the same time their own program for a massive jumbo, like the successor of the 747. Yeah. They canceled it and went for the a seven four seven uh, eight so the one that is actually not really selling either but then they focus their attention on uh, what became the the dreamliner the bet was because you know it's never black and white Airbus bet was passenger traffic doubles every 15 years there's going to be congestion at airports we need to fix that by offering this massive ship which ended up being the 380. And Boeing said, no, because of that congestion, smaller airports will rise and we'll have these point-to-point avoiding the big hubs. Neither predictions were absolutely correct, because actually, yes, passenger traffic did double, but congestion didn't happen, besides, again, ETHRO and a few others. But the Dreamliner is not actually used for point-to-point. The Dreamliner still goes to ETHRO and still goes to yeah. the major airports. So it's just that probably because of the price and the economics of the 380, airlines were very hesitant to pour all that money. They say this is a very risky investment. It's way less risky to invest in a smaller aircraft, which is a Dreamliner, than to invest in a massive ship that is a 380. And Now, the question is, and we had actually at uh, GLEBaz on Twitter asked us, is it possible that the 380 came to market too early before China's population starts flying in rates comparable to Europe and America? Well, the question is open because, again, passenger traffic will double we haven't seen that congestion, but will that congestion happen? And coming back to my point earlier about me complaining about my landing path over my head that might hit me in 10 years, I'll I'll have moved by then anyway. But it's true that the question mark is, is there because will there be a possible to create new airports at a rates we've, we're seeing currently with the new Istanbul and the, the second one in Beijing etc cetera, etc cetera. maybe at some point there will be congestion similarly to Heathrow and you know because there's no 380 people will have to move to secondary airports yeah. that will prove uh, boeing right or i don't know it's i'm not saying they shouldn't have closed it. I'm not saying they were right to have done it, you know, 20 years ago when they started the program. I'm just saying it's more murky than, oh, Airbus was, you know, the EU pride and they were wrong. And on oh, no, Boeing was so. It, no, it, it I do It don't never think
1: works that way. It never works that way. And I think the market has shifted, at least for long haul in developed countries, for planes like the 777, especially the next generation 777. Excellent. Airlines want. And in that the 900 is going to be able to take nearly as many passengers as yeah. the 380 but on two engines. No, I, I think, think that's a big thing. Think, that's a huge thing. It's yeah, very yeah. appealing and I mean in terms of China China have invested in the infrastructure for primary and secondary airports in you know all the way down to tier 3 cities and I, I still think you'll see them investing in A320s, 21s and the 737s and those types of airplane more than something like an A380 because yeah they yeah, can't, they're so much more versatile. No for, no I do agree for such a you know a varied landscape but you know who knows again if 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 Boeing and Airbus can't predict the future then we sure as hell can't. <laughs> No, we can't. Obviously, that's what people listen to <laughs> but us. We Alex. can speculate until the cows come home, and that's what's—that's the fun bit.
0: <laughs> yes. Uh, the other thing that a lot of people have asked is: Is it not possible to retrofit the 380 into a freighter? Well, Airbus tried at the very beginning. I think they even had a few orders, but they quickly realized that it was. Again, not very economically sound, but also very complicated to simply fill the plane with their yeah. two decks right and, and they never actually went into it. The think, numbers never got off the drawing board, and no one even looked at it and I think because the the cockpit is not located on the second deck on the second floor on the upper deck as is for instance on the um, uh, 747 it is impossible to retrofit and door you know that opens in the front uh like the 747
1: yeah there would have to be major structural yeah, changes and exactly. i think and even then the the maximum takeoff weight was never yeah, what per, was yeah, r- yeah. originally delivered so yeah i think agreed. uh if my memory serves me correctly and i might be making this up There was a FedEx or UPS order that. Yeah, that's, that's what I I remember as well. Something. Yeah, they did. They did. They ordered, they ordered 10. There you go. Oh, they both Uh, did. uh, UPS and FedEx
0: ordered them, but they never obviously materialized. Is it UPS and FedEx that said, oh, well, we're not going to go for them? Or is it Airbus that said, you know what? We're probably not going to be able to make it. Or maybe it was simply that. It was so expensive, they said, let's ship first the passenger version, and then they basically, because it was not making the numbers, never went to. Because, oh, that's another thing about Boeing versus Airbus, because a lot of people say, yeah, because, you know, Boeing was so smart with a 747 to make it as a retrofitted as a freighter. Yeah, well, if you look at history, when they actually built a 747, talking about forecasting and predictions that being wrong... Boeing said, you know what, we're pretty sure that our own 747 will not last very long because it will be overtaken by supersonic, including their yeah. 2707. Thus, let's prepare for a future where the 747 will be obsolete and make it as a freighter. So, actually, the decision to make it as a freighter was because they had wrongly forecasted a the future of travel <laughs> Yeah, hilarious. It's it's always complicated. The life cycles of building an aircraft are so long and so expensive that, uh, and, and we can see that currently with the that's middle of the market, a seven nine seven. They're not still not sure they want to build it. It's like what fifteen to twenty billion investment for Boeing to actually make it, and they it's not like an easy decision. to Say, oh, let's do another aircraft. You know, it's it's yeah. So yeah.
1: I don't en- I don't envy the people that have to make those choices because you're essentially betting the farm every time you do it.
0: Yeah. There were actually also, that was very nice to see, there was a lot, actually, of Boeing pilots and also Boeing fans being unhappy and sad about the demise of the 380s. It's not like, you know, no, teams, no like football No one is teams celebrating and, this at all. Yeah. Oh, well. It's a bit sad. But, I mean, again, we'll be able to fly it for at least, let's say, 14 years. Yeah. I think 14 years. Emirates will be your company of choice if you want to fly it. And you should, because it's really, again, a great aircraft. I'm still sad to see it go. Yeah, me too. Me too. Yeah. Uh, those who are not really sad to see it go, I think there were a rumor. I don't know if it's true or not, but and it's very ironic. Lufthansa and Air France, because they are accusing emirates to flood the markets with their a three eighteen they're like actually, it's not a bad thing the three t disappearing because they will rein in a little bit these middle eastern carriers it's It's very ironic, I don't they know if it's ironic. true. But- By the way, the rejigging of the order of Emirates might mean they're not getting their Dreamliners at all. Which, if you remember, guys, I think I said in a few episodes ago that the Dreamliner order from Emirates was never very strong. And I think they might simply forego it. Because now if they have 350s and 330s, why buy on top and complicate even further their aircraft mix by having Dreamliners? I don't know. Have you heard anything
1: about that? No, I mean, I think we initially speculated as did a lot of people that that was a massive show to force airbus (laughs) to make some pretty difficult choices even the way they did it was unusually ostentatious for for emirates in the in the way that they revealed this this order so yeah i think you're right i think that this might disappear into the ether or get converted to additional triple seven seven variant orders Al
0: Baker, the, our entertainer-in-chief, uh, has also <laughs> <laughs> has also said Qatar is not going to be the launch customer for the 777X, but going to be amongst the launch customers for the 777X, along with Emirates. So we still don't know who's going to be, the, I think, the launch customer, but they're all going to the direction. Even PH uh, has bought, I mean, IAG just bought, like, what, 42?
1: Yeah, it's proving to be a popular plane. I'm looking forward to the
0: foldable tips of the week. I know. I can't wait to see that in the flesh. It's bizarre that people are reacting. Probably not you and me neither, but it's bizarre that people are reacting with a little bit of anxiety, saying, "Will these actually hold in flight?" Yeah, but there's a lot of other moving parts that do hold. Why wouldn't those actually hold, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it's because it's one of the visible ones. You know,
1: if you yeah. think about flaps and ailerons and all of that stuff that move constantly. Well, not flap, but certainly ailerons and elevators and all that stuff. You know, mm-hmm. there's much more to be
0: worried about. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, your name is one. We'll talk about that in a, in a few. Have you seen as well? So there's a new accounting practice called IFRS 15, which is adopted widely in the world. Obviously, not in the US. They have their GAAP, and because of that accounting rule, all the companies have to kind of restate their financial statement, including Airbus. And that revealed something that everybody knew, that basically they're selling their aircraft at 50% discount.
1: Yeah, I believe it. I mean, I think that those book prices that you see quoted have always been known to be hugely inflated and overly uh, indexing on the, all of the necessary costs, you know, the, to, to build these airplanes and are amortized over the life of the airframe anyway. So I don't think anybody was hugely surprised. Maybe no. 50%, the average number was a little higher than people expected, but... And I think it was the worst-kept secret in the industry. And it's the same for Boeing and
0: yeah. everybody else as Everybody, well. exactly. Another company that has fun with his accounting is Rolls-Royce. Ooh. They lost, oh my God, how much is it? $1.6 billion a pound. I don't even remember. They lost, I think, pounds. They lost because they have to pay compensation for their trend 1000, 1000. 1000, so the, the Dreamliner. I mean, this is really staggering number, the losses of Rolls-Royce. Yeah. And no accounting practice will save that.
1: No, no. And I heard the Rolls-Royce engine CEO on the radio last week, and he was very sanguine and practical about it, saying, yeah, this, is, this has been a major screw-up. We've set aside this amount of money. They've also withdrawn from contention to provide the engines for the 777
0: 797?
1: That's it. Yeah, the 797 as uh, well. Okay, okay, yeah. They just can't commit the resources. They've got too much to focus on. And I think they did this in the past as well. I can't remember which airframe it was for where they withdrew from it. And people said that that might have been a strategic error, but... I think kudos to them for not overextending while they have a... I think a lot of people would criticize them for for going after another project when
0: the last project was such a monumental in the big scheme of things screw-up on their part. I keep saying 797, but we don't know the name. And if you look at the internal name, it's called 7K7. So could that be 7007? Oh, interesting. <laughs> I don't know. That's a good point. At some point, both of these Boeing and Airbrush should go away. They will run out of this middle number. There are only so many. Anyway, because Airbus doesn't have the 380 anymore, there's going to be some layoffs, but what are they going to dedicate their time on? And one of the big rumors is they're going to do a further variant of the 350 in order to actually compete with the 777X. And and I flew to San Francisco, the 350-1000. It's already massive. I'm like, how long can an aircraft be if you want to compete with the 777X? I wonder if they would instead of making it longer, or as well as making it longer, if they would make it wider slightly as well, so you could fit in an extra seat. Yeah, you actually width-wise. probably right. It just makes sense that they're now thinking of it also because they wouldn't want to cannibalize a 380 before. Now they don't care. They yeah, have, exactly. You know, they they could, they've got a lot more wiggle room. Yeah. Just because I found that super funny, it's not interesting news, but the new senior vice president of communications at Boeing his name Anne Toulouse, and Toulouse is the name of the city of the airquarter of, I of Airbus.
1: I didn't know that. That's pretty funny. <laughs>
0: it's, I don't know. I think laughing. it's
1: it's it's like the new uh, head of Nintendo America. His last name is Bowser. No way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Which which they've done a really good job of playing into as well. So uh, I just think that's wonderful. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. So I don't know if a BA will ever hire a CEO with such a fun name, but their new vintage liveries are pretty, pretty cool, right? They're wonderful. They're absolutely wonderful.
1: They've they've done such a good job with it. The BOAC on the on the 747, Seven. the BEA, British European Airways on the 3, 319 or 320. 319, yep. And then landor on a landor on a 747 which they, so there's one more that they have to unveil two have arrived the bea one and the boac one and they look fantastic and i think they made i don't know if you saw this article that, that zoomed by yesterday bea was famous for having red wings
0: <laughs> yeah i was about to go there thank you go so go
1: interesting <laughs> This so like, fascinating they they were all red and they were this was sort of famous because you could spot them from miles away but the way that the wing is designed on 320s and also for safety regulations it was impossible to paint the wings at least the top of the wing red on a 320 because of the the structure of the wing and also they need to be 80 percent reflective for emergency situations which i didn't know i thought that was interesting so on the underside of the wing there's a the center strip if you will they can, so they painted that red, which I thought was... They clearly put a lot of time in, into that. And yeah. they, they could have very easily said, ask it. We can't. We can't <laughs> do it. And here are the reasons. But they did, and, and I thought that was that was fascinating. You just mentioned the
0: safety regulation. That I was completely unaware of. I had I no like, idea. How? I really wanted to see the, the Landor one. Oh, People I can't see can see. wait. I can't wait. And what's so wonderful and
1: so BA about this is that the plane that they're applying that livery to... Used to wear it originally. Yes. <laughs> Old enough to have worn it originally.
0: <laughs> and probably will wear it until they retire it. Oh, good. Since these planes will be, the th- 747 will start to be retired in like three to five years. Well, you know, they're not going to repaint it just no, for no, one. Uh, yeah. So that's, that's amazing. I, I
1: love I, them. I love, I lo- this is such a great trope in the airline world of airlines doing this because you see them and they're so breathtaking and there's you know they're bringing back especially for an airline of BA's age bringing back these iconic not only the iconic liveries but the brands as well BOAC yeah. BEA although tangentially I was reading about BEA's history uh yesterday on Wikipedia so it's worth going to read because they were responsible in some regards for some pretty catastrophic accidents <laughs> <laughs> um, and actually, f- also for the birth and death of some some British airliners as well. So it's, w- it's worth going back and reading that chapter in British Airways history.
0: And it's also why, how BA is able to say they are 100 years, because actually it's a constellation of different airlines. Yeah, exactly. That, uh, merged and merged and merged. Because I think if you actually think about one airline that has kept its name since the start, I think probably the oldest one might be KLM. Yeah, sure, I believe so. So let's stay on BA a little bit. I'm going to ask you about your recent trip. You went to holidays in, in California. Did you go to Oakland or San Francisco, was it? Uh, San Francisco in this instance, yeah. because <laughs> I haven't heard the story, guys. I just heard that Alex, and if you follow him on Twitter, West pissed, so there must have been something happening at some yeah. point. You flew economy, I think? Yes. Because I just read that BA has introduced new menus in premium economy. They look pretty good, actually. And the so feedback never... seems to be really good as well. Yeah, so they're making some effort but apparently not enough for Mr. Alex Ian Hunter because what happened? I'm curious because I don't know. Again, we haven't talked in six weeks, guys. I just like had bits of moments of your trips and you had mine. So what happened, Alex?
1: It was so infuriatingly terrible. <laughs> I, I, I've never been so annoyed in my life in an airport. And actually, it's very important to differentiate this was only at the airport. The rest of the experience I'll get onto at the end was was not. This was just at T five. The whole thing was a comedy of of errors, which would have been hilarious if it wasn't so utterly utterly infuriating. It didn't bode well when we left. We stayed at the uh, at the Thistle Hotel, which is right at T five, right by the pods, and the pods weren't working. <sighs> Which is an inauspicious start to the day. Uh, there was, and then one was working. And this whole trip was a great reminder that traveling solo and traveling with a family are completely different exercises. Yeah. And I should not apply any of my rationale or any of my strategies that I do when I'm traveling by myself to when I travel with my family. Yeah. Because
0: otherwise your family is still at ether whilst you're in the air. Yeah, exactly.
1: (laughs) So we get to, To T5 eventually. Um, And this is me, (laughs) my wife, and my three kids, ranging in age from eight to one years old. And the pods come in at the north end of the terminal, and we walked down to the first wing, which is the length of T5. That is what it is. It's not a huge, that big a terminal. When we get within view of the first wing, There must have been 50 or 60 people in the queue to get into the first wing,
0: let alone. Wow, I've never seen
1: that. Was it a Monday morning or something? No, it was Friday morning. Wow. And I thought, oh, God, okay. And it wasn't moving at all. And so I said, no, that's fine. We'll just go to the club world check in, which was practically empty. We got there and the person said, no, sorry, you can't. I said, no, oh, I'm a gold card holder. It's fine. And she said, no, you can't come in here because you have a buggy. <laughs> no way. What? And I said, what? what? She's like, why don't you go to the first wing? And I said, because look at the queue and look at the queues here. Said, no, sorry, you can't. You can't come in because you have a buggy. We're not equipped to handle to handle buggies. I said, but I'm, I'm not asking you to check the buggy. And I'm just asking, we take it to the gate like we always do. Yeah, sorry, you're going to have to go to the... To the first wing. That's bad. Yeah. So I thought, okay, so we went in the queue at the first wing. It went as quickly as you would expect it to. It's not not very fast, but not very slow. And the person that checked us in was was lovely and managed to, to take everything that we needed. And of course, there was no issue checking in the buggy or anything like that. She processed everything as quickly as she could, made sure we were happy with our seats, which we were. And... Ordinarily, when you go from the fir- from first-wing check-in by yourself, you go through doc-check and through security, which then dumps you out in the first-class lounge. Mm-hmm. And ordinarily, you're only allowed to bring one guest. But I noticed that families were going through. And there was no way that all these fa- – I mean, families of multiple people. There was no way that they were all card holders. And there was no way that they were all in first-class. And so I said to the check-in agent, are we able to to go through? Normally, when I ask that question, they say – I'm very, very sorry, but you can only bring one guest through. Ordinarily, I'd let you try, but no. Please go to the priority check security just outside. Fine. That's no problem at all. But this lady said, absolutely, of course, go for it. No problem. And so we did. I thought, oh, brilliant. That's good. So we get to the dock check, which is in between check-in and security. And I was told off in such a manner that it was like being back in prep school. (laughs) My God, what? (laughs) This lady rebuked me in front of my family and everybody else that was waiting in the queue for trying to bring more than one guest through. And I said, well, your colleague who just checked me and said it was absolutely no problem. And this lady said, who did? I said, one of your colleagues over at check-in. And she said, no, which which one? Which desk? Who told you that? Meanwhile, there there were only two dock check gates open. There was a queue forming behind us. There was already a long queue at the other one. This lady... Left the desk to go and speak to the person who that checked us in. Meanwhile, you know, abandoning the queue this is for bad. maybe five minutes and then comes back and says, now she made a mistake. She's not supposed to be working first anyway. She doesn't know how it works, you know, loudly in front of all these people. She should know better. I should know better. And she says, she comes back, she said, I've just given her a severe talking, to, a stern talking to, I'm looking at my notes here because it was so bad. And she would let us to go through on this occasion. But I was warned to, quote, not to try this again. My God. I mean, come on. Yeah. Really? So we – and I'm, I'm like, embarrassed because I promised my wife. I said, this is going to be great. You know, this whole <laughs> – she'd never been through the fr- – and I'm, like, I'm so humiliated. And so we get to security, which my kids are really good at, at security. They they know exactly awesome. what to do. Oh, so A
0: father like you, obviously.
1: They just know what they're doing. Even the baby, like, she just – that's interesting. We, we, we have it down to it. So it's not like we're holding up a queue or anything. We don't even stay in the first class lounge. I'm too pissed off. There's nowhere to sit anyway. We leave and we, we walk under the, um, the underground passageway to, our, to the gates at the B concourse. And I go up and ask the, the check in or the gate agent, do you want the buggy? Now, because sometimes they like it beforehand, so they can they can tag mm. it and check it. And they said, actually, yes. And if you'd like to come, we're about to start boarding anyway. So if you want to collect up your family and come, and we did, and they started to check us in, and they said, well, hold on a second, your infant daughter, who is attached to my booking, my my ticket, the name doesn't match on the boarding pass, doesn't match her passport, and uh, okay. what had happened was. She said, the reservation shortens it sometimes because it's an infant. And because we're using archaic systems, there's only a certain number of characters available. Trust me, I know that. (laughs) I thought, yeah, okay, this is. (laughs) With my name. (laughs) I I get it. But all, and she said, it's taken only the last two letters of your surname and that doesn't match the passport. And I said, but your system did this, not me. And she said, yeah, they sometimes the reservation system will automatically do that, especially if it was booked on a third party. And it was. It was booked on Iberia. And I guess, again, because the systems are so ancient, they can only send over a certain amount of data between the two reservation systems because there's an ancient intermediary. She called ticketing and hummed and hawed and spent five minutes. Again, another queue. Boarding has started, a queue developing behind us. And she said, okay, um, they're going to call me back, but you should be prepared not to travel on this flight. What? And I was like, uh, right. yeah, that's just not going to happen. Yeah, I said, because this is this is not our fault. This is yeah, your exactly. reservation I mean, system's fault.
0: Nothing to do with you. And uh, by the way, sorry to interrupt your story there. If that was the case, why was it not flagged before, like, when you checked in? The, I mean, you're all, already at exactly. the gate. Exactly.
1: The board smash been issued. All of the um, APIs data had been yeah. entered weeks before. There was no issue there. And name checked with the API in the in the US, which is one of the most stringent in the world. So exactly. I mean, it's, it's. There was no. There was three or four points at which, if it had actually been a genuine issue, ticketing called back and said, "You might need to buy another ticket." What? Uh, yeah, no and I was way. like, "No," what? and I was getting, I was, you know, it's. It's ultimately not this person's fault. They're dealing with an ancient system. But I am – by this point, having been through all this other stuff – and there were other little bits of frustrations that aren't worth getting into now to save everybody's ears. But by this point, I was getting agitated and, and frustrated. I sent my wife and my sons to board. I had been flagged for Quad S security screening as well. Oh, my God. This Which is really that is what it is, for, you know, yeah, it's yeah, just I mean, a part yeah. of traveling to the US. But I said to my wife and my my sons, go, get on the plane, get settled and all of that. We might see you on board, we might not. <laughs> and God. eventually they said, they told me, just get on and make sure that you deal with this when you get to SFO. And I, I said, oh. make sure I deal with it. She said, yeah, go to ticketing and make sure you might need to buy another ticket to get home, otherwise they might not let you fly. I emailed BA after I got on the airplane and i said that the tone was matronly rude unhelpful and embarrassing and the whole experience from getting to t5 the every person that we interacted with check in doc check security lounge and boarding the experience was so bad that i thought i was being trolled
0: at that point you'd written a message to me and said i've done with ba yeah and i <laughs> said and
1: written- by that point i was i was so, i said now, of course my I, wife, I get it i'm never i'm never flying with ba again this threat of us being kicked off the flight was just the last straw. The reason why I'm going to rescind my whole – well, actually, I haven't decided yet. But I, I should say this. It's very, very important to point this out. The flight over was the single best BA flight I've ever had. The crew were good. exemplary. They, it's like they've done every masterclass on customer experience ever. They were so attentive and they were so good, not just to us with the kids, uh, which they were as well. But there was a chap sitting – my wife was in whatever, 31D. The chap in EFG, the other aisle seat in the block of four, had ordered a vegetarian meal, which they brought to him. And at the end of the meal, they said, I haven't touched it. Is everything okay? And he's like, to be honest with you, it wasn't very nice. The cabin crew chap our entire cabin crew was was male, by the way, which I thought was interesting. Said, Oh, well, hang on a minute. He goes up to Premium Economy and gets a, a vegetarian meal. And the guy said, No, 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 it's fine. You really you really needn't. And he looked at it. The the cabin crew took the cover off. He's like, that doesn't look much better. Wait here. Goes up to first, gets the first class vegetarian meal and brings it back and says, Here you go. Let me know how this is. And of course it was delicious. That's fantastic. Yeah. Not only that, without asking, they bring my wife a premium economy meal, which she didn't notice, but I did, and I said to the person, "Thanks. You didn't need to do that. It was really, really, really great." And just throughout the flight, little things, just the conversational nature of, of our interactions. He said, "So, where are you off to next, Mister Hunter? I notice you travel with us a lot. You, I know. You, where do, where are you going next? As opposed to going." Looking at a script and then reading the script, Yeah, yeah it okay. was so conversational. It was so natural. My wife was blown away. The, some friends that we were traveling were like, "Was BA always like?" I was so good, so good, impressed. Good, 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 good. Unfortunately, when I when we got to San Francisco, <laughs> I called the BA Gold Line <laughs> to resolve this ticketing issue. They were like, yeah, you're to S.O.L., there's nothing we can do. You're going to have to buy another ticket because- Oh, really? Oh, my yeah. God. Yeah. So uh, did,
0: you, did, you, did you end up
1: doing that? No, I didn't. <laughs> I went to San Francisco. No one batted an eyelid. We boarded. The flight home was fine. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Yeah, thank God. I also got a- When I emailed BA, and it takes a lot for me to do that. I emailed BA, and I got a very personalized- not i.e. not a templatized or format, for, yeah. you know, format mm-hmm. response saying, yeah, we massively dropped the ball here. We don't think you're going to run into any problems. Get to the airport in time. We can't actually do anything because the ticket was issued by Iberia. If you do have to buy another ticket, we'll reimburse you. We massively dropped the ball here and we're we're sorry. I don't look for compensation. I didn't ask for compensation. I didn't expect it. I don't want it. You know, I don't want to take up any more of the show with this. Yeah, place.
0: yeah, of course I get it. But yeah. it was but it,
1: no, it's disappointing. It's massively disappointing. And okay. interestingly, my brother flew down to Cape Town on BA and had a horrendous experience. And it came in flight. You in mean. flight, and it yes. came back to these two separate uh Cruise, cruise. Yeah, cruise.
0: yeah, it's crazy. Huh?
1: Yeah, and it's it's this disjointed experience that that we rail on BA for because sometimes they can be yeah world beating. Just, yeah. I, again... And sometimes it, it's just crap. Yeah. Sorry. They were as good as the Cathay crew we experienced on our way to Hong Kong in October. In terms of attentiveness, I just just delivery all, all around. So good. So good. Uh, yeah. Frustrating experience. And I I will, I am... This is the year I've said that I will explore other airlines just out of curiosity. not Not as a way to spite BA or anything like that. Just because I'm curious... I'll probably still re up with b a for gold this year, but I've booked flights already on other carriers I've already experienced one in Aero Mexico you know just I'd like to see what else is out there i'm not I'm not forcing myself to go on one world yeah. carriers just yeah, because yeah. that's the way it works so yeah, yeah. again
0: frustrating experience on b a uh, this year for me is also key because I have to renew star because star. Once you're gold on Lufthansa, you keep it for two years. So if you're able to renew in the first, you get two more years. You know, that's a revolving system. Last year, I just missed out. So I have to renew this year. And the same because finally, <laughs> you'll be happy to hear that. I don't have guaranteed gold with the BA anymore. It's the last year I have it. So I need to actually renew to keep it next year. And that's uh, the big question for me, which one I'm going to go. Maybe I go to SkyTeam again. I don't know. I, I'm free.
1: Yeah. It, it's <laughs> And it's rather liberal in a way because I'm looking at flying from San Francisco to Boston in August and I'm going to fly in United. Yeah. I never would have considered that for reasons we've talked about in this show, but we've been overwhelmed with feedback saying, no, they really up their game. So I'm going to try them. And the one thing I don't know is where I should be collecting my Star Alliance points. I don't know. If used has to any be, ideas, let me know.
0: Yeah, it used to be that Aegean was your best bet because it was a good fast track to get to gold because that required less point. I'm not sure it's still available because obviously Lufthansa, I guess, a big one saying, hey, guys, I mean, you know, we for us, you need to travel a lot and then you go to a smaller airline and you actually fast track yourself. But still, on Flyer Talk, there's a ton of discussion about that. Uh, I'm just locked in with... Locked in. Lufthansa, out of you know loyalty, for like what fifteen years, so yeah. I'm not going to move. But if I were to restart all over again, yeah, would I go United? Maybe. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm
1: very interested. I think. Uh, well, we could talk about it later, but it's yeah, 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 yeah. It is an interesting process to research. Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, since you just talked about uh, BA's experience uh, on Instagram, Jazz underscore K, who was running also against BA, said that for balance. A story of BA's occasional customer service brilliance. Yeah. Uh, he was uh, boarding a flight at T5C, so the Seagates to Narita, and realized he'd left his laptop in the first lounge at T5A, so it's like you know, three terminals behind. But the cabin crew immediately spoke to the ground ops. The lounge staff found the laptop, Turnaround around manager, drove it to the plane, and it was the last thing to get on board before wow. the door closed. All in space of twenty five minutes, and he adds, "I'm beyond impressed and relieved." Astonishing level of customer service. Yeah, it's good when that happens. Yeah, it is. It is. I had a cap delivered to me. That's not BA. That's I think that was Emirates. I forgot my cap, and I love my caps. I forgot my cap at the check in counter at Narita, and I'm boarding my flight and suddenly realize, where is my cap? Okay, it's Japan, obviously. And I asked the crew, I think my cap might have been left at check-in because I don't think I had it in the lounge. And 10 minutes later, my cap was reunited You're with me maybe. in the flight. That's amazing. I love that kind of stuff. Since I just mentioned that I might go for a Sky Team, and uh, we mentioned that KLM was the oldest airline in the world, I think It is. There's an interesting spat happening currently between Air France and KLM. So Air France, historically, the government of France owned a big chunk of that. I think they owned up to, I think, 20 plus percent. Now they are at 12 or something. The Dutch government itself didn't own a lot, only, I think, 5 percent. And because there's a lot of disagreements currently about the strategy without telling the French government, the Dutch government just bought 12% going to 14. So they, they want to be equal partners with, uh, with Air France. The French are not happy about it because truth to be told, for once the French were actually selling their shares, trying to, you know, say, no, we're not going to engage anymore. We're going to just keep a small stake. And I mean, it's almost like an historical. Error by, and I'm not going to make any Dutch friends here, by Air France, because back in the day with Air France bought KLM, that's actually how it happened. KLM was on the brink of disappearing, losing lots of money. Air France buys it, makes it a big group, and decides... Because a lot of other airlines were just, you know what, we're just going to, you know, absorb you and the airline will be called Air France. They decide to keep the KLM brand name. They decide to keep operations, of course, at Amsterdam, even actually given some of the routes from Charles de Gaulle to Amsterdam Schiphol. And now, like years later, it bites them in the ass. Pardon my French here, because suddenly now Air France is not making as much money as it used to. KLM is making a lot of money. And suddenly, Kelly is saying, you know what? We want to take our destiny back in control to the point that it could lead to a breakup of these, these companies. It all started because the current new CEO, the Canadian guy, you know, Ben Smith, said that he wants to integrate these two companies more because although they share stuff, they still don't share, I think, aircraft uh, purchasing. And uh, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that still operate separately. And when, of course, he wants to do that, they're certainly saying, you know what? Bye-bye. Of note, a friend of mine, Paolo Privitera, whom I met in San Francisco when I was last month, is a huge, you know, I mean, he has like a 3 billion miles on Sky Team because he's a huge Delta and Alitalia flyer. I think his daughter, was probably 2.5, has more miles than you and me combined now. <laughs> <laughs> and um, he flies in economy, does a lot of uh, price uh, fare hacking, and he's told me that actually when he flies KLM, He's always recognized, even if it's the last row on the aircraft. Whereas when he flies Air France, nobody gives a s. So it's interesting to see that actually. That's you know, interesting. Yeah. Would you Would you quali- Would you think about moving your miles to SkyTeam at all? Would that be an option? Uh, uh,
1: you know, Virgin Atlantic and Delta and yeah. KLM Air France have been pointing their ships towards each other for a long time, and I think that they've just. Signed their first proper fully integrated interline agreement last week. And the fares that they have, especially Tattle, are very competitive. And yep. everybody that I've spoken to in the US raves about Delta. Delta, yeah. Everybody I've spoken to that's flown on Virgin Atlantic recently has said how much better they are because they were getting a bit tired maybe five or six years ago. And actually, as I as I spoke about a few episodes ago, my experience with Air France to and from Paris was fine. I've flown KLM a few times and been underwhelmed. I don't know. I think in terms of – it's the same with any alliance choice, isn't it? You've got some really strong options in one direction and weaker options in other directions. But I still think across the board, One World is the strongest in terms of product quality – Again, this is the year I'm going to start. I'm going to try Delta. I'm going to try Virgin Atlantic again, especially in the premium cabins,
0: just to see what's out there. Yeah. I'm thinking of doing that, although not this month, but... (laughs) Starting next month, uh, since we're talking about alliances, a very interesting development. So, Etihad is still trying to stop the massive losses. I think it was about three billion last year or something, it was crazy. So, they're ditching a lot of their orders. I think they're just going to take delivery of five of their 350, and they'd ordered more than 60. Oh. <laughs> they. <laughs> they also are going just to take six uh, 777X instead of almost 30, so they're really like cutting down. But the big one, since we're talking about alliances, the rumor was back in the day that when they had Air Berlin before Air Berlin failed, that they already were eyeing a Star Alliance. Now the rumor is getting stronger because they are about, or maybe today they did it, they are about to ditch their partnership with American Airlines because American Airlines didn't stop insulting Etihad since Etihad has had enough. And they are approaching and making an alliance with United and they're probably going to make a bid to join Star Alliance. That's an interesting development if someone is interested into Star Alliance who is a Star Alliance member, for me as, as well, because like, I really like Etihad. Even even a smaller Etihad product, and you experienced it, I would welcome that. I agree. Although I still think that, that
1: Emirates and Etihad will become one in the next five yeah. years. I just don't see how it's going to work otherwise. If the US3 wouldn't make a strategic investment in Emirates, I mean, in, in Etihad, then I just don't see how they can continue at this this rate of, yeah. of, of spend. I'm a huge fan of all three of the ME3. As I've said many times, I'm a big fan of American Airlines. I don't know enough about United other than what I've read to comment. Wouldn't it, uh, joining an alliance help them? Would it remove some of this friction between them? Is there enough of an overlap for that to be of value? I mean, you don't see any US and ME3 types other than JetBlue and Emirates, really, other than what's built into alliances for Qatar and American?
0: Maybe also Etihad now is clearly they are in a weak position and suddenly they're sitting at a negotiating table, the dynamics is different. And maybe it's easier now to talk to a United because they're not like, you know, oh, here, we can spend as much as we want. Now they're becoming more reasonable in how they're spending. Mm-hmm. They have to make cuts. They have to be paying attention. So maybe they're also more ready to listen to United saying, it's all speculation, United saying, okay, this is how we're going to make our interlining. You keep those off the table, you stay in your region, but we're not strong on this route. So we'll do, I don't know, it could be a lot. Whereas maybe five, 10 years ago, they were like, you know, we're going to rule the world. We're going to buy Alitalia, Erbilin, all these guys. And yeah. well, you, we see how that turned out. I don't know. Honestly, I don't know. I'm just, as a Passenger as a customer, I would welcome because I like Etihad, although I, I dislike their current uh, airport, that they are part of an alliance. But you're right. Will they merge with, uh you know, I was in San Francisco for, I was running the innovation program for IATA. But as, as much as I can say, because I'm NDA to death, I wish I couldn't say a lot. Yeah. Other stuff that I overheard both in the meetings we had and, of course, over dinners and drinks. And there's a lot of, but. Anyway, uh, Qatar on its own, uh, since we're talking about our entertainer-in-chief, is still ordering 321 Neos and 321LRs. And Al Baker has said that it will feature a brand new business class that is not currently in Qatar Airways fleet, so that's not the Q-suite. But that would provide a lot of privacy. Uh, and if you look at what exists in current 321s with, you know, a lot of privacy, there's not a lot actually. American has one, one in their first class, business class, whatever you want to call it. But, you know, they're herringbone, but there's not a lot of privacy. I mean, there is, but it's more like, um, Cafe Pacific. Yeah. Uh, probably the closest one would be maybe what? JetBlue. JetBlue mind, Do they have a door in JetBlue? Mint. The thrones do, yes, but the the two by two do not, because it probably would be one one if this is privacy. Yeah, it will be just interesting to see what what happens there. So uh my trip this time, since we're on the MB three, it's a long one, but I'm going to shorten it because I don't want to bore you audiences to death about uh, a travel report. But there's a few quirks that was interesting. So. For those who follow me on Instagram, no, I didn't go to San Francisco via Dubai and Hong Kong because I just wanted to fly. It's just because it was just less expensive Mm -hmm. than flying... First, to San Francisco, back to London, and then from London to Dubai and back to London. I still Uh,
1: want to know how you found
0: that. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I actually, the thing that really put the price down a lot, there was two things. First, it was just marginal. It was Emirates was running a promotion for Christmas, New Year's Eve, I think, minus 10%. I don't remember... So I, I was able to find a flight that my client would pay to Dubai and back. So a simple return it was not too expensive. But the big one, the big fare that I was able to find is flying Cathay Pacific from Dubai to San Francisco because Cathay Pacific, neither at San Francisco or in Dubai is a primary airline. It's not their hub. So I really went for a really low price, but it was a really long flight. So I mean, yeah. I mean, I took like in the say was eight hours to nine or hour, eight hours to to Dubai with Emirates, then what? Almost 10 hours to Hong Kong, and then like 15 (laughs) to San Francisco. That was super long, man.
1: So because it was ticketed, uh, the flight started and ended
0: in Dubai. Yeah, two separate tickets. That's very important, right? Emirates bought on itself, and Cathay Pacific on itself, uh, a return. But providing me with a, a few quirks, especially transferring in Dubai and putting my luggage, I'll explain, because I was leaving for two weeks, I, for once, wanted to check in. I could have taken probably the carry-on I had with me, but I said, you know what? Do I really want to have the carry-on for three flights, moving in airports? Like, I don't need it. I just have my backpack. Let's put it in the hold. But then I was looking for information, and this is where you know a lot of it breaks because I was looking for information: how could I do in Dubai again? Two separate tickets? How can uh, I do in Dubai yeah. to actually transfer? Yeah, and I didn't want to go out to grab my luggage at the, the belt and re-enter for one very simple reason: Cathay Pacific doesn't provide mobile ticketing at Dubai, so no way for me to have my boarding really? pass. No, and. Out of experience, everything but Emirates, because obviously Emirates flies all day, usually the check-in counters only open three to four hours before a flight. And I was arriving in Dubai eight hours before the flight. So I said, if I go out and I take my luggage and I'm stuck outside for five hours before being actually able to get a boarding pass that allows me to get it. No way I'm going to be stuck outside in Dubai. For me, it was just a layover. I would like to work and rest. And I'm reading on Emirates' website that they have, and this is really, the way it's written is not clear. They have some interlining agreements with Cathay Pacific. So I'm saying, okay, so they talk to each other on specific routes. I'm like, maybe, maybe I can actually ask to have my luggage being transferred. Other thing that is being said, on the website, again, and on many different forums, you can go as soon as you arrive in Dubai, even if your luggage is only tagged to Dubai, but you're flying with a third-party airline, in my case, Cathay Pacific, you go to a Dinata counter, you show them the tag of your luggage, and you ask them to put them in your next flight, and then you don't actually go out, so they catch the luggage for you, it's the handling company, Dinata, for those who don't know. They catch the luggage for you, and they put it in the next flight. Okay, this is my potential option in case I cannot request at ETHRO. So I'm going to ETHRO. Let's make it short. I go to ETHRO, and I arrive at the <laughs> counter. And I tell the guy, can I transfer this directly to my end destination, which is in a separate ticket to San Francisco? And he's like, um, yeah, I think I think I can. The only And that's really funny. He's telling me airlines' databases do not talk to each other so I don't know if you have another ticket. Basically, he just trusted my word. I gave him, I said, CX, ta-da-da, to Hong Kong, mm-hmm. and CX, ta-da-da, from Hong Kong to San Francisco. I actually simply gave him the numbers and the cities, the pair of cities, and he wrote that on my tag on his computer, and that's what he printed out. So, okay, so you basically just wrote what I just told you. I could have told you that my luggage would end up in, you know, tombuktu. And yeah, he says, yeah. I'm like, okay, so do you think that Dubai will read that? And actually says, yeah, it should be working. I'm like, okay, should, should be working. Be working. I'm like, not- yeah, I'm like, oh my Sheesh. God. But I'm like, I'm going to do it anyway. Because again, I'm like, I don't want to carry this thing. So I'm going to do it anyway. And in my head, I'm like, I'm going to go to Dinata anyway in Dubai. There's a reason I say that. You'll see why. But then as he tries to give me my boarding pass, and again, we're talking simply about the first boarding pass, the one that leads me to Dubai. Mm-hmm. Emirates wouldn't issue the boarding pass because my end destination is in the U.S. The API checks are not made, although I had made them on Cathay Pacific's app. But since the databases do not talk to each other, they they didn't issue my boarding pass.
1: Yeah, yeah. Oh, my
0: God. And I said, look, yeah, but we're just talking about you giving me my boarding pass to Dubai. I'm not asking you to give me a boarding pass to San Francisco. Mixed calls, I had to wait 25 minutes calls, A supervisor comes, I don't know, it wasn't clearing, but they gave me a boarding pass anyway. So at least I'm like, okay, uh, let's see the next stop. I arrive at Dubai, uh, Terminal 3, so the Emirates Terminal. And of course, the first thing in my mind is, is my luggage here? And will it follow me to my next flight? So I go out and the first thing I'm thinking is like, I need to find a DNATA right. check-in counter. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They do not exist at Terminal 3. <laughs> All the information that was given to me, there's only Emirates counters, because Terminal 3 is only Emirates. Yeah, they that makes third sense. third-party counter. So the information on the website of uh, Dubai Airport is actually incorrect. There's no Dinata. And I've asked, I've asked many, you know, agents, and says, do you know what the Dinata is? There's none here. And I'll go to another and another, and i like, Okay. So I'm like, okay, so what do I do now? So I'm like, you know what? Let's go to Terminal 4, which is the newest terminal at uh, DXB, because since it's the third-party terminal where Cathay flies from, they will have this Denata thing. Let's go there. And that's another thing. On the website, Dubai's airport's website, and on maps that you can find online of the layout of the airport, there's a train that leads you between terminals because this new terminal is a bit out there. And I'm like, okay, so I'm not gonna go to the train, but it's impossible to find. I'm like looking around, I'm like walking, and I you know, I know Dubai Airport. That's again when you see that. I'm an outlier and not a lot of people are transferring in that, you know, they actually either keeping with Emirates or flying with Fly Dubai. That's yeah. pretty much it. So I'm endlessly walking around, not finding my way. I mean, I had all the maps in front of me and said I should go to A because from A, there's a train to B and whatever. And I'm, I'm going around for some reason. I end up in a security and I'm going against the fluid security. I see buses and I'm like, okay, so maybe that's it. And I'm like, um, Jeez. can I, can I go to terminal four from here? Do you have a boarding pass? Like no, because (laughs) I can't have a boarding pass because I'm flying Cathay Pacific, which doesn't have mobile boarding passes, and there's no Dinata check-in counter here. And she's like, okay, I'm gonna trust your word on it. So yeah, there's a bus. And I answer, is it not a train? No. Okay. So for those who will ever do that, the bus that from terminal three to terminal four is every 35 minutes. So basically I waited and waited and waited and waited and it's fine, but it's the experience is really broken, guys. I mean, it's not something that I would advise you to do. Anyway, I end up going into that bus. Fantastic. You, you see a lot of the aircraft because it's a bus going just below the noses of all these parked aircraft. I have a terminal form. And then I see, a finally, I see a D-not. Like two hours have passed since I've landed. So in my head, I'm like, my luggage is on the belt, like going around alone and no one actually picking it up. And thank God that was the only part of the experience that worked. The guy like logs in the computer and says, yeah, we have a luggage uh, tagged for you. Is it here? Like, yeah, probably. Again, he uses the probably. word probably. I'm like... I'm like uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, Jeez. I'm going to trust your word on it. He was able to actually give me a boarding pass for Cathay Pacific, thank God. So I had my boarding passes, was able to enter Terminal 4 because I had a security to enter, which of course then I had to prove I was. <laughs> I had a boarding pass. Then went to a lounge, that also is not very clear because there's like two lounges for Cathay Pacific, one for the morning flights, one for the evening flights, but one is not open at a certain time. So I ended up going to a priority pass one, the Marhaba. marhaba. Oh, yeah, yeah. And the good thing on this specific lounge, you can pay a little fee and you have a room. And because I was managing, so my watch, I had two watches. I know I'm a dork. My Apple watch was already set with the time at San Francisco. And I was like, I need to adapt my sleeping pattern already to San Francisco because as soon as I arrive, I need to work. So that moment in the early afternoon in dubai was the time i was supposed to sleep so i paid a little fee got a room for myself slept for four hours it was fantastic i would highly recommend that in uh, in dubai at that point i'm like very curious i'm like so that train thing well it turns out there is a train actually because i see it (laughs) there is actually a train that connects you from gate c to gate d which is exactly what i was doing with the bus it just, I couldn't never find it. I've, I could, I was able to found it from D to C, but not the other way. I'm just here to say that if you guys are ever doing one of those, like I just did, it's really not clear. The information is absent from the website. The forums all tell you different stuff. Put a lot of time, put a lot of time. It's not guaranteed. My luggage ended up in San Francisco. Although, to be frank, when I was in Hong Kong, I went to a <laughs> Cathay Pacific. A counter said, okay, do you have a luggage for me in the hold somewhere? Yeah, yeah it arrived. But it, it's something that took me three and a half hours to shore between That's, London and Dubai. I cannot get over that. For airlines that actually on their websites say that they have agreements. And again, I'm nda for the program I did for Ayata in the Bay Area, but... I mentioned that, and yeah, like you you said, Alex, for your own Iberia versus antiquated systems. And of course, privacy, but they do not talk to each other. So it's nice and staggering that the person in London simply trusted my word, wrote down the flight numbers I gave him and the destinations I gave him, and that basically made sure that my luggage would end up... So
1: technically, I mean, or theoretically... I don't know what verifications they did. You could have said any flight.
0: Yeah, probably at some point they had to match that I was in the flight. So Cathay Pacific, if they had received that luggage at uh, Dubai, but there was no person attached to it, would have not probably let the luggage in or something. One would have. Guess, I'm guessing. I'm guessing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm wow. guessing. But yeah, it's a, it's a strange, strange, strange um, experience. But I mean, it worked well. And the flights themselves for Cathay Pacific, I flew uh, a 330. Have you ever flown a 330 by Cathay Pacific? Many times, but not for a while. Business class, the city is clearly narrower than a 777 or 350. Because they have two
1: versions, don't they? They've got a a regional one with a similar one to to Cathay Dragon business class product. And then they've got this one, which is much more like the 777 long haul. Yeah,
0: exactly. It's just a smaller, narrower, smaller screen, probably a bit older product, but it's really fine. Interestingly, I don't know why on both legs. So Dubai, Hong Kong and Hong Kong, Dubai, when I was going back, the crew was probably the best I had ever seen on Cathay Pacific. I don't know. There was something maybe because it's uh, less premium route or they were more attentive. They made more an effort. They were like more used to it. They've been at Cathay Pacific for a very long time. I don't know. It was just fantastic experience. Very the words you use, conversational, engaging, I'm not saying that they're the Catholic Pacific is not. The Catholic Pacific can be a little bit stringent sometimes. You know, like you know, Asian companies can be. They're very friendly, but they're not have the the demeanor that you will find in a US airline, for instance, obviously, right? Not like, yeah. hey Paul, how are you? Right. But in those times, all the the crew were able to read me understand I was I was pretty casual but they never went into like you know too casual yeah. it was really really nice I mean I really enjoyed both of these uh, crews a lot the difference I will say between Emirates and Cathay and I'll take an example and you'll realize that back from San Francisco to Hong Kong it's 15 and a half hours going crying out loud and usually I never do breakfast but uh, you know you have nothing else to do so much <laughs> There was this young crew, very nice, clearly, you know, just been there not a long time, but she was very efficient, trying her best. And, and when I say trying her best, she was really, really good. Right. And I tell her, can I just have the fruits? Because, you know, I don't want to have a heavy breakfast. I just, can I just have the fruits? And she says, yeah, of course. And she leaves. Same experience at Emirates. Can I just have the fruits? And I'll compare the result. <laughs> At Emirates, they, you know, they either bring you just a little plate with the fruits and they put it in you, they give you like a fork and a knife or whatever, and you have your fruits. A cafe, she didn't come back. The head of cabin came back with a stern look, giving the entire plate, pointing me at the fruits, said, you can only eat the fruits if you'd like. That's weird. I was, I was like, okay, I, it's not a problem. I was trying to make your job easier by asking the fruit. And by the way, guys, I'm not complaining, but that for me shows something that Catherine pacific is a little bit more process driven like a lot of asian airlines and emirates the crew has a little bit more leeway i mean they have to provide me with the entire experience of the tray and probably that's how it goes of course if i just want to eat the fruits i can and that's fine by the way i'm not complaining i'm just very interested in the delivery of how i got that that's the head of would come and serve me that and not my usual cabin crew because probably the head said, No, no, you cannot do that. This is not along the processes. The policy says you have to bring the entire tray. So I'm going to do it. I'm going to tell the passengers that you should get the entire tray. Do was, you think they misunderstood uh, your initial request? No, no. I, I think it's just a process versus it. And, and really, Cathay Pacific is fantastic. Do not read that, you know, into something negative. They're really good. They're really amazing. I love them to death. Uh, I've flown them like what 12 times already this <laughs> year year in 2019 it's just that i see that flying emirates which hadn't flown for like eight nine months i see that emirates for all their faults of now and i kept saying that the 380 being so big that sometimes the rapport with the crew is a bit less there's less crew than before so they have less time to dedicate to you they still have that demeanor that more laid-back attitude and they will fix it for you yeah whereas Cathay pacific sometimes it feels that the experience is very high, but they will still respect the process and the policies they have in place. No matter how much I can sometimes criticize Emirates on this industrialized look, they're really, really good. Yeah. To being able to have so many passengers in business class in an entire deck on a 380 and being able to, you know, being on time with all the delivery, but at the same time fixing different things for different people. It's fantastic. I, I admire Emirates. I, I admire
1: Emirates too. I think... That they're such a good airline, such a well-run airline, such a generally, as you say, for the scale, consistent airline. Absolutely incredible.
0: A few other bits about this trip. Of course, I stayed at the pier. <laughs> Both those times, I stayed for like 10 hours. And did you pier, adhere so to the rules? Tell me the rules.
1: Well, the Remind rules me that they... the
0: rules. On the app, remember, oh. about, that we talked about a <laughs> couple of episodes ago. Yeah, though there were some American dudes shouting on the way there, I mean, but there was a reason for it. And they were all jealous of me. I VPNed myself to watch uh, the Super Bowl. Uh, So Uh, it was 7.30 in the morning in uh, Hong Kong when the Super Bowl was happening in the U.S. And I was watching it and it was fun because I'm not a huge fan of american football and i know because i kept saying that i i was supporting the rams sorry guys and of course they lost oh, well there you go meaning i understand why some of the americans in the lounge were actually vocal because they were watching the game as well yeah, <laughs> yeah so yeah and, and what else can i say um oh yeah man i mean because you know san francisco so well i hadn't flown in san francisco for so 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 long time what a wonderful landing it's well, beautiful, it's, it's, isn't it? It's, it's beautiful. It's wow.
1: Yeah. It's, it's great because no matter which approach you do, especially if you're coming basically from outside of the U S, you come in from the North Bay across the top. And sometimes if you, you have a little bit of a hold, but you get spectacular views of the Golden Gate Bridge and San Francisco and the greater, greater Bay area before you kind of, you, you go south of the airport and then turn, do a 180 degree turn and come in and land. And it's always. Over the water, That's the one which I did. is just yeah. lovely.
0: And the experience in San Francisco, my experience was really not best ways because I was an ESTA returning passenger, although not returning in San Francisco, but returning in the U.S., and went out, and I was able to use one of the machines, and it took me literally, you know, five minutes. And then I went, and thank God, my luggage. You had a very different experience
1: than me. <laughs>
0: really? Was yeah. it, was it took it us bad. about an hour and a half to get through immigration. Oh, my God. Yeah. I was, like, surprised. And we're American. Like I was oh my god i was because i was in my head i was thinking like you i'm like i haven't done so for a in a long time it's gonna probably be and you know they were we were going out of all the you know the um, government suspension whatever in the in, in the u.s but yes. i was like maybe there's gonna be like you know i don't know And no, it was like fantastic i mean the airport is okay i guess it was the one thing have you seen there's a they open a new observation deck
1: Yes, they have. I haven't experienced it yet because I'm always in the wrong terminal, but uh, (laughs) not only have they... They've opened another observation deck, uh, a new observation deck. They're opening a Grand Hyatt connected to the airport. um, Supposed to be July, but I reckon it'll be end of the year. And they've also, in the International Terminal Pier A, they've opened a new food court area with a lot of San Francisco restaurants with a presence there, which we did experience. And it was f expensive, but very good. Very good.
0: <laughs> For those who want to experience the observation deck, which opened exactly a week before I was there, I was gutted. I couldn't go. It's on the G side. So that's uh, United. So that's another reason to fly Star Alliance. Because if you fly Star Alliance, you'll be able to go the to observation deck. I was flying One World, and I was not. Um, <laughs> but the, it's really funny the the lounge of Cafe Pacific at San Francisco. Have you ever been in in it?
1: Yes, I have. With the, they have the little mini noodle bar.
0: Yeah, but there's a quirk. The lounge has two different sets of seats of colors. they are the newer ones that are gray, and it's very minimal, but very nice. And there's a part which clearly somebody from Cathay Pacific went to the Lufthansa Lounge and stole all the seats. They're exactly the color How from funny. Lufthansa Lounge, yellow and brown. And I was like, no, but come on, this cannot be, this is exactly the same seat. I'm sure the Lufthansa the staff of the lounge came one morning and, and said, oh, where are the seats? Well, Cathay has them, let me tell you. Anyway, (laughs) the last bit, and then I'll ask you about your Mexico flight. The last bit was completely bad shit. So uh, after doing my Ayata thing, so so people have some idea, Ayata thing, I stayed for two days in San Francisco. What a beautiful city. We'll have a chance to talk about uh, it another time. I often criticize it, but, you know, I, I understand why you like it, Alex. I went back to Dubai because I, I was working at a conference there. Step, Hello, guys. And then <laughs> the crazy thing, I'm leaving back to London. I'm arriving at the uh, airport, the um, business in first class uh, check-in terminal, whatever they call it, or Terminal 3. And I get to the immigration officer because crying out loud, they don't allow you to go to the e gates unless you register but you cannot register on the way out, you have to register on the way in, praying God that the registration desk is open, it never happens to me, so I was never able to register no matter how many times I go to Dubai because my passport is able to register anyway, and I go to the guy and give him my passport, you know, the usual thing, right and he looks at me and says "Um, is your name Carl? Carl Carl. Yeah. and I look at him Huh? And he says, do you have a second passport? And it was early morning and I was being facetious. I said, no, my name is Jason Bourne and I have <laughs> multiple passports." So at, le- at least I made him laugh, but that didn't allow me to get through. He told me on my database, and we're talking to the government database, that's the immigration officer. I cannot let you through because you, I can see you have a second passport with the first name Carl. Uh, he wouldn't give me more information, obviously. And he says, Go back to Emirates. And I went back to Emirates and I said, what do I do now? They say that I have a second password, but clearly I don't. I'm not a spy, guys. It took 30 minutes to solve this. Somewhere in a database exchange between Emirates and the government of Dubai, they probably had an ID mix up. And they had linked my name and my whatever ID that you know we don't see. We're not talking PNR, we're talking ID. <laughs> They had linked it with another passport, so they had to call and unlink it and whatever. But it was a very strange experience, man. Jeez. <laughs> That's stuff
1: like that always makes me slightly nervous about. Yeah, me too. The, the, the in, you know structural integrity of the in, IT infrastructure generally in aviation.
0: How does that happen? You know, and honestly, when an immigration official so representative of the state you're in that tells you you have a second passport with first name Carl. No matter how I made him smile and laugh a little bit with my joke, you're like, so now what? Right? Seem like, uh, if they think I have a second password, who am I to tell them no? I mean, it's, I, I don't know. It was, it was a very bizarre experience. I was half awake. Trust me, I was very much awake 30 minutes later trying to say, let me out of this country. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, don't worry. I have nothing to hide or anything. <laughs> oh, well. Anyway. And of course, it was the 15th of January, and the news about the 380 had just been announced. And I flew the 380 in my favorite seat, 23A, which is a bulkhead on on Emirates in the back. I love it. Yeah, I'm going to miss that uh, flight. And uh, you know what? Emirates has Wi-Fi and data on every single flight. BA, learn, please. (laughs) Oh, actually, that is a very important point. On my beautiful
1: Boeing 747-400 on my flight from London, San Francisco on BA, there was Wi-Fi, and it was very good. Wasn't free by any stretch of the imagination.
0: That triggers me another. I'm sorry because I keep rambling about this. When I was in San Francisco, my Cathay Pacific flight from San Francisco to Hong Kong was at midnight. I spend all my day. I was like, you know, I'm gonna just go early to the airport. Like anyway, Alex and me guys, you know us. We go early to the airport. So I go four hours early to the airport. Plus, I'm not sure about security in San Francisco. I'm not. I do not know it as well as as you do, Alex. And by the way, hi, Will. I saw I saw your brother in San Francisco. brought me out. It was fantastic. But I didn't ask him about security in San Francisco either. So I was like, <laughs> let's go early. I had a middle seat for crying out loud. I mean, like an ale in the middle. You know, oh, like early, no, yeah, middle yeah. middle. But still, and I wanted a window. But I'm you know, the, I had all the expert flyer alerts you can think. Off, but there was no seat that was a three fifty nine hundred. because you triggered me that memory because of the wi-fi thing because i had wi-fi on the way there because i had a three fifty one thousand. and do you have any window seat anywhere i cannot see it on the map but maybe you have like a secret seat somewhere and she says Ah, uh, oh, we're looking for someone to go on the earlier flight I'm like, oh, and the early flight is like two hours later, it's a 777, and I'm like, you know, why not? Not staying at South Africa for two more hours, but staying in Hong Kong for two more hours in the pier, good idea, right? (laughs) (laughs) What I didn't realize, I said yes, plus they had a window seat, which for me was fantastic, I'm going to have for 16 hours a window seat instead of being in the middle in the 350. Well, the 777 didn't have Wi-Fi, and for 16 hours, even though I'm not a huge fan of Wi-Fi, I was like, oh my God, why didn't I not ask it? Yeah, I I keep forgetting it's just some of the 350s, isn't it? All the 350s, but not all of the triple sevens. It's still for me a bit strange as it's a premium route for them. All the flights are full. That it wouldn't choose a triple seven with Wi-Fi for that route.
1: Yeah, I don't. I mean, I, th- I, I maybe they don't have the luxury of doing being yeah, particular not. about which which airframe they use. I don't know. Yeah.
0: Okay. Sorry, guys, because we're doing only flight reports. Since we're going to Mexico, I want to hear about aeromexico mexico I'm switching completely topics here. How was Aeroméxico, mexico Alex?
1: Well, I didn't know what to expect. I think we chose them because a fare popped up that was a decent deal. It's very interesting because normally when you're going generally from Europe to North America, the flights leave in the morning or early afternoon and arrive in the afternoon Or early evening in the U.S., especially if you're going kind of a little bit further west, like the West Coast. This was interesting because they were both red eyes. So the the flight left at 11 p.m. from T4, which, having not been to T4 in 20 something years, I seem to spend my life there now. (laughs) It's it's such a weird terminal. Is it? Yeah. And it arrives at 4 a.m. in Mexico City. So it's one of the very first, if not the first flight to arrive in Mexico City, which for our purposes was fantastic because you get off the plane and we start filming. we were there to film an episode which will be out by the time this episode comes out. And then the flight home is one of the last to leave Mexico City. Uh, it's at about again maybe ten thirty, eleven o'clock at night, and arrives at about two or three in the afternoon in London. So you get two full days either side. That's really good, which is which is great and very helpful for us. They use a triple seven. Uh, pardon me, a seven eight seven eight. And our flight over there, we were in economy, uh, having spent like way too long looking at the whole auction bidding upgrade process and the like the <laughs> lowest it ever dropped each way was like 1400 pounds oh my god and i was like yeah no no chance no. i mean it's not even that good a product which because i'll talk about it later i actually got to experience it it's not worth it so i was like okay oh well it is what it is i looked at the seed map and picked the second Row of economy. Greg was in the first row of economy, the bulkhead. Okay, and had a whole a, a row of three to myself, which was great. Greg had a, a seat to himself, and then somebody not only sat next to him, but also this person was a talker <laughs> and just <laughs> talked at him like he was sending me messages on his phone, going help me. I might need you to kill me. Because like <laughs> literally from the moment they sat down until after the seatbelt sign went off, this person did not stop talking. And he managed to spy a seat across the aisle with another seat open that was also the bulkhead. So he quickly made his excuses and moved over there shortly thereafter. I didn't take the meal. I didn't even have a drink because I knew I wanted to sleep. Yeah. Because I knew we were going to have a long day. So I... Got my three seats laid out, and I and I slept pretty much the entire flight, which was wonderful and very comfortable. And um, again, the the flight was not busy. The the flight attendants were I don't know efficient and friendly, uh, as you know, not not particularly friendly, not not chatty or anything like that, but perfectly pleasant. Greg said the food was not anything to write home about. <laughs> the IFE was was limited but fine. They had Wi-Fi. It was very, very flaky and very, very expensive. But other than that, the, the flight was, was fine. It was perfectly comfortable. It was, I didn't feel like I'd pay too much or too little for it. Landing in Mexico City, there's quite a lot of paperwork. It's much like the US. They have all these forms you need to fill out. It turns out you can file their form of an ESTA online as long as you print it out and bring it with you to present to immigration when you get there expedites okay. the whole process okay. what they don't tell you is you must print it out in a color <laughs> no <laughs> so wait in queue, wait in the queue for like half an hour get to the desk and the lady's like you have to fill out this form because you had to print it out in color but just come back and see me and and all of that it didn't really matter it wasn't the end of the world <laughs> but My pro God. tip if you're going to mexico city do fill it out ahead of time either on the airplane or ahead of time. And if you do fill it out online, for God's sakes, print it out in color.
0: I don't have a color printer. Oh, my yeah, God. Yeah, so
1: just just don't. Just do it on the airplane. It really <laughs> didn't save you that much time. We had arranged to meet our production crew. They were going to come pick us up at about 8. And there's a pod hotel right in the middle of the airport. Looks which very we,
0: Japanese style.
1: That's exactly what it is. Very Japanese, very space-age and futuristic. So we booked a few hours in there just so that we could – power nap for 90 minutes, have a shower, feel a bit more human, worth absolutely every penny. And it was like maybe 40 US dollars. It was absolutely worth it. They're very comfortable, very clean, good shower facilities and all of that. And then hit the ground running. Getting out of the airport itself is taxi or Uber is really your only option. And it was expensive. Um, actually, no, it's not that expensive. It's just the traffic. You have to deal with Mexico City traffic, which is yeah, one yeah. of the worst in the world. Coming back, we had shot all day. We'd started at 7am. By the time we got to the airport, it was around 9pm. I was exhausted. So I just said... I got an alert from um, Expert Flyer. We were just talking about those guys. God, I love that tool. Yeah, saying nice. there's an available upgrade. It was not cheap, but I had a speaking gig in London that afternoon. That we arrived back, and I needed to sleep, so I paid a lot of money to upgrade. And it was did
0: you did you pay online
1: or I at paid the online? Counter? Yeah, I okay. did. Actually, the, yeah, it was very easy. The flow through the app was. I did the whole thing on the app after I got the notification on the way to the airport, which, which was. Very, very easy to do. I got my seat, got my ticket, and I, and I did that. I'll come on to that in a second. Mexico City Airport is kind of a funny story. It's bursting at the seams. It's completely rammed. It's slightly falling apart. They're trying to patch it up because they were supposed to open this new yeah. <laughs> Norman Foster designed airport, which we talked about. But they, they spent- st- They started it. They started it. Actually. They started it. And- They spent billions and they expropriated thousands of acres of public land to do it just like further out of the city. And people were really pissed off. They voted to to stop. But all of our friends in Mexico City said, no, they're still working on it. And they are, they're still working on it. We chartered a helicopter, yeah just uh, and we, we flew over it and,
0: and there's work going on in earnest. sort to interrupt your story. the cancellation of so if they were to stop and they have to you know pay penalties to the construction companies and do some environmental stuff to make sure that you know the airport is clean when they leave the site and everything, five billion dollars. So the entire airport would have costed in the end between 15 to 30. That was really, that's also the crux of the matter, what people voted no probably. But even because they started, because they need to stop it, because they engaged money in already, all in all, they say that stopping the thing is $5 billion. It's crazy. Yeah, it is crazy. But you can absolutely see why they need a new well, airport. It, Yeah, yeah clearly. Uh, it, it,
1: it's, it's so busy. It's so full. Every acre of it is, is being used. To get to our helicopter flight, you go through this sort of, the guts of the airport as well, which was just a, a nightmare as well. And flying out and over it, you could see just it's
0: it's constantly in use. It wasn't it wasn't sorry. It wasn't the the new president or whatever wanting to open an, another airport on a military base? But that sounds completely crazy for security reasons. Not because of the military, but because I think the surrounding side but is yeah. You, really would to, heavy you would have to. You would have to
1: fly. Very close to an active volcano, <laughs> to to make this approach work, and it's just it's not going to work. So I think that they're they're holding that up as the comparison, saying we really need to to have a new airport. It's either this or this, and we've already started with this, which agreed has not been managed well, but it's really our only choice. So it'll be very interesting to see what they were doing with that
0: <laughs> so were you like you in know international terminal or yeah we were Mexico
1: yeah it was it was Aero Mexico's primary um primary terminal it's a big big airy terminal the premium class is like its own little section for check-in and then you go go through security we went there was a variety of different lounges that you can access via priority pass and being an Aeromexico Mexico in business class, and so we tried a few of them. The, the first small one we tried was was nice enough, and then we moved to one of the big Aeromexico ones, and it was it was a bit like it the cafe Lounge, which is sort of a a roof or ceilingless series of walls within the terminal. So it's it's kind of up a level, but you're sharing the ceiling with the rest of the terminal. If that makes if that makes any sense, so. It felt very temporary, almost like these partitions. And I had read reviews that the, that the lounges weren't great,
0: and they they were okay. They weren't they weren't fantastic. Because Aeromexico is Sky Team, correct? Meaning you had no you sell special status to access any lounge. No, I had Whatever. none. So
1: it was because yeah. either I had priority pass to experience the first lounge that we went into, which closed before our boarding, so we moved to this big, <laughs> big Aeromexico lounge, and. It was okay. It was nothing special, but the whole terminal itself was falling apart, and they were fixing things, patching things up all around. So it felt a little bit like a construction site. The product itself, the business class product, was it was a lie flat product with the pillow built in to the seat. Do you know oh, that that? Yeah. Um, who else uses that? I think United maybe used that. A few of the American carriers use it. It was comfortable. The food was. It was okay. It wasn't anything special. They had Mexican wine, but I'm not drinking, so I didn't try it. The service was very friendly, really friendly, which I really appreciated. But it was absolutely not worth what I paid for it. I just <laughs> needed to sleep. And I did. I slept very well. And the flights were on time. It was fine. It was Both the, both the, the economy and the business class – they were fine. I would absolutely not go out of my way to try them. It was very Air Canada. I mean, it, was, it, was, it was fine, you know, <laughs> to, to, to dust off that old trope. But yeah, uh, on Mexico City, on the other hand, I completely, absolutely, 100% fell in love with. It was yeah, a that. wonderful city. I can't wait to go back.
0: I don't think I flew to Mexico City. I think I flew to cancun for all my Mm. sins (laughs) and um i don't think i even had a layover i think it was a direct iberia flight probably madrid uh, miami i don't remember but anyway meaning that i've never been to mexico city itself i've been to other parts of mexico so when i read your uh enthusiastics um it's not a report, but just views on whether it was Instagram or on Twitter. And also, you just released as well on attache not the episode you said is coming now, but the the food tips. How do you look for oh, food? Yeah, yeah. That's clearly also filmed in in Mexico City. Yeah, I'm going this year for sure. I have to. <laughs> this is, this this looks like exactly my type of city.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, it was wonderful. I can't I can't emphasize enough. The transportation and the airport itself are what they are, but the city is worth that pain.
0: So you would totally do a layover at Mexico Airport.
1: <laughs> well, the problem is, is that you can't get into the city without uh, you know an hour's worth of commute either way. But it's again, it's such a good city that I would say, yeah, it's probably worth it.
0: But next time you would probably maybe fly something else in Aero Mexico, not to diss Aeromexico, Mexico, but would you try Iberia or-
1: No, I I I I mean they were they were okay. I don't know if Iberia would be any good. Ba, well, Ba is a known quantity. That's fine. I actually looked to try and go via the U.S., but actually, weirdly, the the connections between the U.S. and Mexico City aren't nearly as robust as I thought they would be. So flying to Dallas or New York, or the timings just didn't work out, or, or weren't as generous with the time that we would have on the ground as these Mexico flights. So it was worth taking an Mexico. and I, I
0: certainly wouldn't avoid them. Oh, the immigration thing. So besides having to print out the color version of yeah. the Uh was there, like, this button you pressed? No,
1: you weirdly, get... in Mexico City, you just walk out. Uh... But in Monterrey, when I was last there, you you had that.
0: I, yeah, and, and Cancun probably, I, and I'm pretty sure I'm going to confirm that for the next episode. I think pretty sure it was Cancun where I landed. I had that, and you press a button, you either red or green. If yeah, green, you green, you pass through. If you read your roulette. chat. Yeah. yeah. I thought that it was, uh, like, mexico I thought oh, it was, too. I thought it was, too.
1: In fact, I'd prepared it to talk about it in the script, but you just... It was like any other airport. You just walk through the... Nothing to declare or something to declare lines.
0: Oh, well. Oh, well, there you go. Oh, by the way, did you know that, uh, Europe will implement an ETA system? Oh, yes. Uh, it s- s- is similar as the ESTA for, for, so all passports that currently can come to Europe without having a, a visa. So for instance, a Schengen visa. So let's say an American passport you will have to announce your arrival etc. the same way that we Europeans do for the US. These ETA things are becoming uh, very prevalent which is not a visa but just like an announcing of you coming. It's uh, it's just a procedure but uh, becoming really um, prevalent. Yeah uh, for better or worse. I think um, by the way Russia, I'm going to Moscow still next month. Uh, Sally, I need to do all the procedures. You've been there. It's, Ugh, it's complicated, gosh. right? Yeah, it is. There are six airports in Russia, not Moscow. They are more in the uh, eastern region. Six airports you can apparently... Land at with an ETA system, so you just announce your arrival, la la la. Because Russia knows that it needs to attract more tourists, so they are testing these systems out. So thank God, at some point, at least for people, we have friendly passports will be allowed in Russia friendly, by with yeah. a and, and and Japan as well. Japan is also introducing an ETA soon, and the the airlines are not that they are concerned, but they're like. Where does the responsibility lie? Is it us as the airline who have to make sure that you, Alex, have made your necessary papers to actually, if it's, it's not a visa, it's just an ETA, right? It's an yeah. authorization to travel. It's complicated.
1: It is Com- complicated. It's, and, and it's increasingly so. No matter, and technology weirdly is making it worse.
0: Unlike you with your name issue, you're yeah. not called just Hunt. I mean, your daughter, I don't know. It's just, Ha. Huh? Uh, huh. <laughs> right. God uh, anyway, anything you wanted to add more about either either Mexico or mexico city airport
1: i'd be very interested to follow on the story uh, with the airport themselves, and I hope they I hope they do get a new one because they desperately need it
0: so uh, guys if you 're in Mexico, live there. Hello, sorry, we took 88 episodes to actually uh, (laughs) go to Mexico City, but we had on Monterrey. Uh, Actually, I'm looking at the list of airports we have to, I mean, we have to, we want to cover. There's uh, a lot first, but also I realized that we haven't done a single European airport for at least eight episodes. So uh, at some point this year, guys, you'll be flooded by European airports. We're really sorry for that. (laughs) We're trying to balance, but in the balance, for some reason, I lost track of actually doing European airports where we're based so the next one will be Astana we promise it's not going to be six weeks before we record that one probably earlier because both of us are not traveling in March we hope you're going to have good travel I'm going to say one more thing about (laughs) that one of my Cathay Pacific flying so I think the co-pilot is on the PA and says that the pilot is named John Williams it was a very well orchestrated flight oh that's (laughs) and so good at the same time (laughs) Alex, Safe Travels.
1: Safe Travels, guys. Oh, sorry. It's a lovely that. anecdote to end on. <laughs>